Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Hollerback Season 3, Episode 6. I'm Billy Devericks. And I'm Stacey Fugit. And today we have had a very special guest. Um, not to date myself or him or anyone. <laughs> um, but we've known each other for like half a decade at the very least. So that's a long time and we're decrepit apparently. But he is a former WYMT anchor and recent University of Cincinnati Law graduate. Um, and he may have been on your TV in your living room at some point if you live in Eastern Kentucky or Central Kentucky. Um, and so today we have Mr. Tanner Hesterberg. Um, so Tanner, thank you so much, Stacy. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for being here. Um, you know, you just graduated law school, you're studying for the bar. Um, so we're honored to have you, you know, fit us in your tight schedule. Um, but first, we want you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background in journalism and how you got to where you are today. Well, first off, thank you for that overly kind introduction. My head was swelling up and my concern now is it's not going to be able to fit in my little Zoom square here <laughs> as we record this podcast. But that was very kind and I'm so glad that my path intersected with yours uh, several years ago, along with all the other great people I met in Hazard in Eastern Kentucky. And maybe we can get more into that a little bit later in the discussion. But Thanks to you, Stacy, and to you, Billy, for, for having me on the podcast. Of all the, you know, I, I've been very fortunate, and the good Lord has blessed me with uh, to be in a lot of good situations over the years and to experience a lot of neat things and, and get some, some cool accolades that I probably didn't deserve. But out of all of that, the coolest moment now that the crown jewel on my resume is coming on the Hollerback podcast. So I just want to thank you guys for this opportunity. <laughs> and I, I guess we'll bore people right off the bat here. I'll, 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 be, I'll give you a, the, the quick and dirty biography of how I got here. I, I was lucky enough to be born and raised in the greatest small town in America, Moorhead, Kentucky. I graduated Moorhead State University in 2012. Um, and when I was in college, I started working in radio. I worked for several different radio stations in the area. I worked for the public radio station on campus. I called ball games for another radio station, um, Moorhead State ball games, football, women's basketball, and did um, some color for men's basketball. Uh, but the probably the best radio experience I had uh, during that time was I served as the play-by-play -play voice of the Rowan County Vikings for two seasons, uh, 2000. 10 to 11, and then 11 to 12. And in 2011, I was uh, fortunate to call the Round County boys run to the uh, Sweet 16 state championship game, a game they lost in double overtime to Christian County. Um, and then even backing up before that, I do want to give a shout out to the 2008 Lakeside Christian Academy High School Baseball Falcons. We won our state championship. Uh, after I graduated from Moorhead in 2012, I uh, took a job at WYMT Television in Hazard, Kentucky. And the story of how I got that job is a memorable one and a special one to me. I, I was still in college. It was about a month before I graduated. And as you guys know, that's always a very anxious time of your life. It's a very uncertain time. And I get this interview at WYMT, my friends Jason Blanton and David Patrick 
some strings and got me an interview. I had no television experience. I didn't do any TV work in college at all. I was a strict radio and print guy. I was the sports editor for our student newspaper. So no TV experience, but yet I'm going to interview at a television station. So as you might imagine, I <laughs> there was a bit of trepidation about that. But I go and I sit down for my interview and it's an all day interview and things are going pretty well. And I'm sitting there with uh, Neil Middleton, who at the time was the news director at WYMT and it's now the general manager. And he's interviewing me and he asked me this very odd question. And the question was something to the effect of if you could go back in time and have dinner with one historical figure alive or dead, who would it be? And I didn't know what I was going to say to that. And I'm thinking, do I say somebody like Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or John Adams or Martin Luther King? And, I, and then I think, no, everybody probably gives those answers. You need to think of something a little bit different to kind of distinguish yourself. And for whatever reason, the first name that popped into my head as the answer to that question was Kay Wood Ledford, who, of course, you know, needs no biographical details. Everyone knows he was the beloved voice of the Kentucky Wildcats and called the basketball games for so many years. And of course, maybe the coolest thing about Kay Wood Ledford is that he's an Eastern or was an Eastern Kentucky guy. He was from Harlan County. And I didn't know it at the time, but when I answered Kay Wood Ledford, Neil's eyes lit up and I could tell he got all excited. I didn't know it at the time. Neil was from Harlan County. <laughs> so I'm, I was very lucky. I made that connection right away. And he loved that answer when I said Kay Wood Ledford. And a few minutes later, he offered me the job right there on the spot. And I accepted it before I even drove back to Moorhead. And the rest is history. I worked at WYMT until early 2017. Uh, I anchored the 11 o'clock news. I reported, you know, covered news stories. I anchored the morning news briefly. And I also served as the, I did play-by-play -play for a lot of the high school basketball and football games, and we did some college games too, U-Pike, Cumberland's Union, uh, Moorhead, and then in early 2017, I left WYMT to go work for their sister station, WKYT, which is the CBS affiliate in, in Lexington, and worked there for almost two years, loved it there. I anchored the news on the weekends. I uh, reported through the week, got to cover a lot of uh, really interesting stories. I was there at a very interesting time in Lexington's history. I, I covered when they removed the Confederate statues from downtown, and that was a big topic of discussion. Um, you know, during my time at WYMT and WKYT, I got to cover Kentucky in the NCAA tournament. They made, what, two or three runs to the national championship. I got to cover the 2015 Final Four in Indianapolis. Followed them to Memphis, St. Louis, uh, Nashville for the SEC tournament. All of those were wonderful experiences with great people. Um, but then I got out of the TV news business in uh, fall of 2018 and went to law school at the University of Cincinnati and am finishing up three years there now and am happy to be a graduate. And I'm now in the process of preparing to take the bar exam later this summer. So knock on wood, I passed that. And I now work for a law firm in Prestonsburg, Kentucky. So I still get to serve the people of Eastern Kentucky, which I really enjoy doing. And uh, we, at our firm, we practice civil litigation. Um, we do some criminal defense. We really do a wide variety of 
of legal work for people. So Lord willing and the creeks don't rise, I'll pass the bar exam later this summer and then be working here at, at Pillersdorf Law Offices in Prestonsburg. And the cool thing about my position now, and I know this is a rambling, long-winded answer, and probably much longer answer <laughs> than you were looking for here just to start things off. No, but, no, we love it. We love it. You know how we are in Eastern Kentucky. I mean, you guys, you guys are Eastern Kentuckians. You know, I, I, I can't tell my family good morning in five minutes. <laughs> but one thing, I, getting back to just my final point here, the, one of the things I like about this job and being back in Eastern Kentucky is I still get to do a lot of media stuff on the side. I still call high school football and basketball for YMT. I do Moorhead State football games for ESPN+. Plus. And, uh, you know, occasionally a radio station around here will hire me to, to call a game. And I get to do the Hollerback podcast. So I'm, I'm a really lucky guy. I'm, I'm blessed way beyond what I deserve. And that is kind of how I got to where I'm at now. Tanner Hesterberg, Esquire. I'm <laughs> reaching out to you for some advice in the next year. Hey, Billy, I hope, I hope you never have to call me for advice, but if you do, we'll be here, buddy. Okay, well, <laughs> since we brought that up, Billy, um, so I've known Billy for even longer than I've known Tanner because we did speech and debate in high school together, um, and so at the beginning of my college career, career, Billy, you probably remember I changed my major five, six times. Um, and Tanner was one of the people that I reached out to, um, for advice and he gives really good advice. So I would advise him <laughs> to do that. Well, I'll definitely probably be reaching out. So I hope you don't mind. Um, how, how did you find a passion for sports and broadcasting or sports broadcasting in the midst of being an anchor? I butchered that sentence. But I think you got the point. Yeah, I got you, man. Let me first just say, I don't know how good my advice was to Stacy. I really, I should be taking advice from her uh, more than she should be taking advice from me. She's probably, well, I know she's, for a fact, she's smarter than I am and probably better at a lot of things than I am. And I don't know how good the advice was that I gave her, but um, I'm happy, happy anytime to help in whatever limited capacity I'm able to. Uh, but in terms of finding a, a passion for for sports, I never really had to find it. It, it kind of found me. I mean, I've always been a, a big sports guy. Um, my dad back in the 1980s was the radio play-by-play -play voice of the Moorhead State Eagles and was there at a really exciting time. Wayne Martin was the head coach, and they won the OVC a couple of times, went to the NCAA tournament. On one of those teams, there was a point guard by the name of Rocky Adkins, who I believe you, or at least you should be familiar with. And so, you know, he 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 called games and was still doing that when I was born. And, um, you know, he would do local high school games, too. And he would take me to the games. Um, you know, they load up and take me when I was a year old. And so it got ingrained in me at a very early age. And I played sports all growing up, played in high school. You know, I'm, I think I mentioned earlier, my senior year, we were fortunate to win the uh, Christian School State Baseball Championship. I was the, the catcher and the cleanup hitter, and my best friend, Jonathan Adkins, was our ace pitcher. And then I went on to Moorhead, and while I was at Moorhead, Donnie Tyndall was the head basketball coach, and we went to the OVC, or went to the NCAA tournament twice, and 
if you notice this shot behind me, it's got a glare on it, but that was 2011 when we beat Louisville in the NCAA tournament. That's a, that's a blown up picture of DeMonte Harper's last second three pointer. Uh, and so that I was around for that, another great sports moment. And then I get on to WYMT and, uh, and presented with some opportunities to call basketball and football games. So I got to know a lot of the coaches and players and administrators in Eastern Kentucky. And so I never really had to light a, light that fire. It was, it was already lit and to be able to take a passion like that and, and make some money doing it <laughs> is, is a pretty special thing that I definitely don't take for granted. Yeah, absolutely. And what is the saying? If you love what you do, then you'll never work a day in your life. So. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about that saying. I don't know. I think, I think even if it's, all these years, <laughs> I think even if it's something you love, you, you, even if it's something you're in love with, it's not something, it doesn't have to be something you love doing every single day. I mean, some days, some days are going to feel monotonous and you'll kind of be in the doldrums and you got to power through. But I do think there's some truth in that saying, but I think, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know anyone who has a good day every single day. If, if they, if they do, I'd like to know their secret. I don't know. Maybe Stacy could enlighten us. No, I actually read a fact on Twitter today. Um, well, they- well, it must be true then. I mean, it's it's from Uberfax, the Twitter account. Um, <laughs> um, I didn't fact check it, but who am I, you know? Um, and it was like the average American wakes up 300 times a year in a bad mood. So wow. I think there's some truth to your point. Um, yeah. So have you ever had, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, have you ever had kind of a monotonous game or any kind of like, and you don't have to name names of teams. I know how, how the culture is. Don't worry. I won't put you on the hot seat. Um, but <laughs> have you ever found yourself calling like any sort of monotonous events that you didn't really enjoy? Uh, well, there are definitely games. Whenever you, you go to call a game, you don't know how it's going to turn out. I mean, most of the time, you know, the teams pretty well and you, you can anticipate if one team is a lot better than the other team that that it might turn into a blowout and might get boring. And honestly, most high school football games, there are more high school football games that are blowouts than there are ones that are close. That's just the nature of it. So I think that's where um, that's a very that's one of the most difficult parts of calling a game, I think, is is taking a game that would otherwise be boring and making the broadcast interesting. Because the your audience for a broadcast, you're always going to have different segments of people. You're going to have the people that are watching because they support one of the teams, because they're either a fan of that team or they have a, a child or a grandchild or a relative playing. But you're also going to have casual viewers who are just tuning in on a Friday night or whenever you're calling the game and maybe don't know anything about either team or have a particular allegiance to either team. They just They just want to see a good game. So that's that's the audience I'm really trying to speak to when I'm calling a game. And I think that's where it's imperative that you do your due diligence uh, in preparation for a game. I, I pride myself. I do a lot of prep work before I call a game. If I'm calling a high school football game on Friday night, I'll probably put in 10 to 12 hours of prep work during the week. I'll call both the coaches and talk to them and make some notes and look up statistics and try to get good stories on these players because I really want to make the broadcast as professional as possible 
even though in the grand scheme of things, I mean, I know I'm not calling the Super Bowl or the Final Four, but you know what? To these kids and their families, it is their Super Bowl. And so I I want it to be special for them and I want it to be entertaining for the casual viewer. If the game's 42 to nothing, I better have some good stories ready to go <laughs> to be entertaining to kind of salvage the broadcast and keep people from, from clicking off of it. So I hope that answers your question. Um, I, I I will say this, and this is probably a self-critique. I enjoy calling games now more uh, than I ever have. And there were probably some times five, six years ago when I would go to call a game and it probably felt more like work than fun to me because I had this, I had this conceptualization in my head of the way my career was supposed to go. And it's like, okay, I've got to nail every single call tonight and I've got to be on my A game for three hours straight on this broadcast so I can make a good resume reel to send to ESPN so I can get hired and be calling SEC football two years from now. You know, and I'm just, I'm using that as a very, not that that's a probably an overly specific example, but it was almost like I went into it thinking that I'm doing this as a step to try to do something later instead of enjoying it and being present and, um, and enjoying it for the moment that it was. And that's not to say I didn't enjoy it, I did. But now that I've gone through law school and all the difficulties associated with that, and I'm working full time in the legal field, you know, that can get uh, that can get a little tedious and a little boring at times. And so now it's like sports is the escape for me. It's the bonus. It's the reward at the end of the week. And I, I'm very excited to get to go do it. And and I'm uh, present the whole time, even if it's a blowout. And I, I just appreciate it even more now. Not that I didn't appreciate it then. I'm trying to thread the needle here and make this point. I never, you know, I never, I never lacked an appreciation for the opportunity, but it's just so much more magnified now for me. I just, I, I enjoy it now more than I ever have because I enjoy it purely on its own merits and not not because I'm trying to use it as sort of a training ground to advance my own career, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, the comment you made about spending 10 to 12 hours in preparation and, you know, it's not the Super Bowl. It's not, um, I don't know a lot about sports, Tanner. I'm going to be honest with you. It's not so much a sporting <laughs> event, but, you know, to these kids and their families, it is. And so, all of your preparation that goes into that. I think it really speaks to your character and how much you care about Eastern Kentucky sports. Well, I sure do appreciate that. I don't, you know, if I need you as a character witness one day in court, maybe I'll call you, but I just, I just want to do a good job. I mean, you know, these, these kids, they work as hard as, as any other kids do. And, and you, you all being from Eastern Kentucky know as well as I do, they don't all the time get the accolades and the attention that maybe a student athlete from Lexington or Louisville would, you know, because the, you know, the media center, the, the media attention is more concentrated in those areas and those are bigger population centers. And, you know, Eastern Kentucky can kind of people, people can look down their nose at Eastern Kentucky sometimes. And I know that when I'm calling these games, we have not only a statewide audience, but People watch from all over the country and all over the world. I get messages from people saying, hey, I'm, I serve and I'm overseas. I'm stationed at so-and-so in whatever country, and I'd watch the broadcast. And so I'm reaching this mass audience of people, and it, 
the job 100% of the time is focused on the student athletes and promoting them. And that's anytime there's a young broadcaster getting into the business. Um, that's the first thing I tell them is it's not about you. It's about the student athletes. And um, if you approach it with that attitude, then you'll, you know, you'll find success and you'll find that people will appreciate what you do if you use your platform to help promote these kids and these programs and these schools and, and, you know, your personal, like your personal endeavors in your career, that will all take care of itself. So I'm going to ask a question and I'm going to try not to stumble on my words this time and redeem myself, but you know, <laughs> all we're, right, all to, we're all trying to regenerate after finals. So what, what is the most difficult part of live broadcasting sporting events? Well, at the risk of sounding repetitive, probably making a, an otherwise boring game interesting. Um, it's just, it, it's hard to do generally. And the broadcasters who are really, really good at it, like the ones who you would see if you turned on an NFL game on Sunday afternoon or a college football game on Saturday night, like your elite level broadcasters, they make it seem really easy to do because they're so daggone good at it. They are just on such a high level and they're so smooth and nonchalant. And, and it comes so naturally for them that you watch them and, and you think, oh, well, any old idiot could do that. But when you actually sit down and try to call a game sometime, if anyone's ever tried, it is extremely difficult. I started on radio and it's, it's, it's hard to learn, especially if you're not familiar with the teams and you're having to learn 15, 20 new faces to call a game. It's hard to keep up with, you know, Smith passes to Jones over to Fugit. Now to Devericks, he shoots the three, hits it. You know, it's hard to learn all the players. Um, and, and to do, especially if you're calling different games each night, and it's hard to keep up with the action, and it's hard to supply the play-by-play and in, in, with a high degree of professionalism all the time. I mean, it's, it's it, it just by the very nature of, of, you know, the very nature of play-by-play, it, it's difficult. and. I don't know anyone who has ever been good at it right off the bat. I certainly wasn't good at it right off the bat. I remember my very first broadcast, I signed off. I had called a Round County girls basketball game, and I signed off, and I was feeling really good about myself. And then on the way home, my dad called me, and he had listened to the broadcast and made a notebook full of notes <laughs> of things for me to improve on. Um, and, and I'm like, okay, well that brought me back down to earth, I guess a little bit, which I'm very glad he did that. You know, he and I have, have a relationship such that, you know, he, he's the best play-by-play guy that I know. And, and to have him as a resource, I want him to do things like that. But luckily I improved to the point where he doesn't give me notes anymore. (laughs) He watches the broadcast and I haven't gotten any notes in a while. So it's, it's just hard to do, especially when the game is boring and you got to try to make the broadcast interesting. And that's where your prep work comes in. Yeah, absolutely. I apologize. That was kind of a, a loaded question because to me, someone like me, Tanner, who doesn't know a lot about sports, I was like, the whole thing is difficult. But I want to know from someone who uh, knows about sports, uh, what is the most difficult? Um and I think it's really special that your dad is also a sports broadcaster. Is he specifically sports or just journalism in general? 
Well, he's been out of the game for a while. He was he he did Moorhead State basketball and football for a long time. And then he he was also a Moorhead Sports Information Director. He got away from it. Um, when me and my younger sister were young, he he eventually got out of that and he ended up going to work at Toyota in Georgetown, worked there for uh, more than two decades, recently retired and is now back working at Moorhead State in, um, you know, in a different capacity over development and advertising. And um, so he it's funny, though, because when I was doing round county games, he, he he called a couple games with me. And it's funny, just a few weeks ago, I was getting ready to call a Moorhead State football game. The Eagles were at home getting ready to face Valparaiso. Um, and they were playing a spring football season because COVID canceled the fall season. And on Saturday morning, I get a call from my color analyst and an emergency had come up and he couldn't be at the game. And I'm thinking, oh, no, what am I going to do? You know, by then it was 930, 10 o'clock. I was getting ready to leave to go to the uh, to go to the game um, because we were on the air at noon. And I'm like, what do I do? And I'm, I'm like, I don't know who do who do I call? Who do I even know that I can trust to come do an adequate job? And it just so happened my dad was available. And so he threw a suit on and he said, I don't know anything about either one of these teams. And I said, it's fine. I'll catch you up on the ride to the stadium. And so in the 10, 15 minutes it took us to drive to to Jane Stadium, I, I told him everything I knew. I gave him the rundown of uh, of the teams and and what I knew about each quarterback and all my notes from talking to the coaches that week. And and we were ready to roll and we we had a wonderful broadcast. And that's a great memory for me to get to call that game with my dad. You know, we got a lot of great feedback from from people who were watching it. And um, you know, he probably did a better job than I did. <laughs> they might be they might be asking him to do more games in the future instead of me. I don't know. But but that's a pretty cool thing, because, you know, me and him, we look at like, you know, um, Marty and Tom Brenneman. Um, I know Tom Brenneman's not with the Reds anymore, uh, but, you know, they they called Reds games together for a long time. And, you know, Joe Buck and Jack Buck, um, you know, that was another father son duo who, you know, these people are obviously way more famous than, <laughs> than than me and my dad are. But to be able to say that we're kind of in the same vein and have called some games together, that's that's one of I think that's that's one of the most special things I think that I've ever had happen to me. Yeah, and I think it just also plays into your love for sports being ingrained in you um, because of who your dad is. And I think that's a really special moment um, as well. And speaking of special moments and special things, I think that sports in the mountains are unlike anything else, honestly. Sure, yeah. Um, and granted, I didn't go to high school in Lexington. I didn't go to high school in Western Kentucky. Um, so it could be special everywhere, but there was just something different. And I always heard that growing up that, um, sports in Eastern Kentucky is just kind of a different beast than anywhere else. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong on that, cause I very well could be, but why do you think that is? Well, in most places, it's the only game in town, you know, in Eastern Kentucky, there's no professional teams. There are very few college teams. There's no mall, unless I guess you count the Heinemann mini, mini mall, Billy. Uh, <laughs> there's no beach, unless you count Carfort Beach. I count Carfort. And, oh, you okay? Well, other than other than other than Carfort Lake, there's 
there's no beach in Eastern Kentucky. So a lot of the distractions for attention that you would have in more populated areas, you don't have in Eastern Kentucky. There, there are fewer options on a Friday night. And so just by virtue of that, I think it makes high school sporting events more attractive to go to. But I, I think it's deeper than that. I think that it's a real source of pride in Eastern Kentucky. And this goes back long before I was ever around. You know, we want to show the rest of the state what we got. You know, Lexington and Louisville, they might have nicer things than we do. They may have more restaurants and more money and, you know, nicer, nicer things. But in eastern Kentucky, by God, we can hang with them in sports. That's something we can do when we, we can go and play them and put our best five against their best five or 11 versus 11 and, and line up with the best of them. And so I think it's a source of pride in Eastern Kentucky. It's a way for for people in Eastern Kentucky to feel like they're at least on equal footing with with the rest of the state. And I mean, look, you go back, go back to where you know when Eastern Kentucky was really booming, and you know these families would have 10, 15 children, and and the they were the children were fathered by these big burly men straight out of the coal mines. I mean, and they were all all these kids were great athletes and they were playing for these really tiny schools that are no longer there because of consolidation. I mean, um, you know, like a like a Heinemann or a Car Creek or, you know, Hazard High School has won the championships before in 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 basketball. And and you just go back and you look at that era of at one time, I mean, the best in the state in terms of quality of student athlete was right here in eastern Kentucky. And unfortunately, over the years with the downturn in the coal industry and other factors uh, and population loss, you know, it's not what it once was. But I think that desire to still want to show the rest of the state what we're all about is still there. And so, I, you know. I think I think I think it's those two things. I think it's I think it's the personal pride, and I think it's the fact that uh, there, you know, there's for a lot of communities, it's the only game in town. These these small communities really rally around their high school athletic programs. Well, that pride really echoes on too through the years. Um, one, one of my biggest memories is throughout all of high school and even still today was kind of the the legend of Cameron Justice in not <laughs> so I mean even whenever he wasn't in not at not central anymore we were still talking about him senior year you know wondering how he was doing and everything then he's got that sign when you come in the not county home of Mr. Kentucky basketball Cameron Justice there's a large sense of pride in in these high school sports um but me me and Stacy it's been four years gosh I can't believe that it. it's been four years since we've been in high school um, is, is the culture still the same? Has anything changed? You guys would be more equipped to answer that than I would be. I mean, I, I'm not really around these kids other than when I call the games. You know, they, they don't invite me to the high school parties like they do Stacy. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know. I don't know how equipped I am to comment on the culture. And, you know, Billy, I was around for those Cameron Justice teams, um, you know, Evan Hall and uh, Simon. I'm in Christian and who else was on that team? They had a Cornet. Well, they, they always have a Cornet. Chance. <laughs> I think it was um, Chance, wasn't it? What's that? Chance Cornet. 
Chance Cornet, yeah, yeah. Um, of course, BB King still the coach, and and they they won the region this year. Uh, so they have a you know they've got a really tough athletic program there. I'll tell you my favorite not central basketball memory was was Burl Bowen, who was the World War II veteran and the not central super fan who was at every single game. He was well up into his nineties and still coming to every single game, and they saved him a seat courtside. And whenever they would win the region, which was a lot in those days, uh, they would let him cut down a piece of the net. And unfortunately, we lost Burl three or four years ago. Um, but I remember we did a story on him when I was at WYMT, and he was a, a special, special man. They, they don't make them like him anymore. Um, but I guess getting back to your question, I assume the culture is still the same. I mean, I think here, here, here's my deal. I think you have to give the student athletes from this past year an immense amount of credit for what they weathered with these with the adversity due to COVID. Especially like Stacy, you know, just to use Hazard as an example, their football program got decimated by COVID. They had a COVID outbreak and a lot of their football players got it. They had to shut down their program for a long time and they rallied to put together a, a good season and then beat Pikeville in the playoffs in one of the biggest upsets in Eastern Kentucky high school sports history. But it wasn't just Hazard dealing with it. Every high school athletic program in some way, form or fashion had to deal with this and and they still played. And it's just incredible to me that in a time when a lot of adults were struggling to hold it together, that kids were able to rally together and follow these protocols and hold it together and give our society some some sense of normality uh, by playing on by playing high school sports. And so in that sense, I can definitely tell you that they're still resilient because these kids and coaches and administrators met this incredible challenge during during this COVID season. And a lot of students, you know, student athletes from last year had their chance at a championship wiped out uh, because the like the Sweet 16 was canceled and baseball was canceled. Like Stacy Hazard was supposed to play in the Sweet 16 last year and didn't get to. Martin County, another Eastern Kentucky school that made it there for the first time in forever, they don't even get to play uh, because because of COVID. They don't even get to go to Rupp Arena. So student athletes this year. Um, deserve all the credit in the world for for the difficulties they encountered and they they mastered those difficulties beautifully yeah absolutely and i think that you know when you're in high school it's every event and every milestone that is the biggest event in your life you know whenever you get to mine and billy's senior year of college was taken away but you know at that moment it's like sports are great, but like me and Billy aren't, aren't athletes or we're anymore. And, you know, so I think that at that age, it's really difficult to navigate waters such as COVID, but also just like giving up those milestones and not being able to have your lasts that you thought you were going to be able to. Um, and second of all, I don't get invited to high school parties anymore. Tanner. <laughs> um, I have, I'm not going to say I've moved on, but now I'm at like the derby parties and the um, Christmas for charity balls. Oh, okay. You have, you have a refined palate now. So yeah, I'm with the higher class. A, a taste of the finer things. A taste for the finer things. A taste for Betsy Clemens. That's what 
I love that one. Well, I won't fault you with that. Absolutely. I want to be her when I grow up. That's those are my plans. So me too. <laughs> um, so how do you balance being a fan and covering your favorite team? But also before you answer that, I want to know, were you more of a hazard basketball guy or a hazard football guy? Oh gosh. Well, when I was, I'll deal with the hazard specific question first. When I was there, hazards football coach was Mark Dixon and I knew Mark really well and was friends with him and um, a fan of his coaching. Mm -hmm. And they made the state title game my last year at WYMT. And I went to go covered in Bowling Green and I was doing a live shot and all these hazard fans swarmed around me and were cheering during my live shot. And there was a certain hazard mascot that kept harassing me as well. As some hazard student, some has probably some delinquent kid that's, I don't even know, probably somewhere uh, in reform school now um, was in this, in this mascot uniform, Stacy, would you know who that would have been? I would. Um, so the hazard mascot started as a joke. Um, I hate being cold. And so, but I love supporting my school. And so I asked uh, Helen Williams, I was like, Mama Helen, can I wear the mascot costume? And, you know, I came at it as a place of I want to support the school, but also I knew it'd be really warm. Um, <laughs> and everybody clowned me for wearing it that first time. But then we beat, I think we beat Pikeville that year, um, maybe in the first round of playoffs on our home field and so everybody was like Stacy you've got to wear the mascot costume like that's our good luck charm <laughs> so some guy in my grade he was like Stacy I'll give you $500 if you let me wear that and I was like no <laughs> I'm not superstitious but I'm a little stitious and uh, <laughs> so I continued to wear the the mascot costume and I won most school spirit for my school superlative so it was well worth it and harassing you was all the more fun what can I say in fairness I do deserve it so so for clarity you were the delinquent I accused of going to needing reform school you were the mascot in the flesh <laughs> in the fur yeah in the fur in the fur uh <laughs> so I that was that's kind of my hazard football experience hazard basketball big Al Holland was the coach the whole time there one of the one of the most brilliant basketball coaches in eastern Kentucky history always enjoyed talking to him and covering his teams and hazard won the mountain classic my second or third year at wymt you would have been probably a freshman or sophomore um yeah, we won because i was a cheerleader at that time um so okay freshman year. yeah that was, that was the team with josh holland chris hudson collier mobellini happy son matt, um, thompson. matt thompson yep matt really good three-point shooter i see so I have some I have some good memories associated with that team as well. That team beat Perry in the Mountain Classic Championship. Um, so I, I can't choose between hazard basketball or football, but I can tell you with regard to your question, you know, in terms of showing favoritism, it's really not that difficult for me because I'm a fan of all these schools and all these players. Like I genuinely like all of them and I want them all to succeed. And so I know that's maybe kind of a cop-out answer, but I think I'm in a unique position as, as if you're calling the game, then you want to you want to show excitement when each team does something well. And talking about superstitions, I don't know that I would call this a superstition as more of just a I'm a creature of habit. 
uh, I, when I'm picking out what color tie I wear before a broadcast, I will almost always try to wear a tie that has no, that does not in any way contain a color that is one of the team's primary colors that I'm covering that night. So if Hazard is playing Perry, I want to try to find a tie with no blue or red on it at all. Or in the alternative, I want to try to find a tie where that's equal blue and red. <laughs> because I'm that paranoid, I don't want to give people any reason to complain about my impartiality. So that's that's one thing I do. But, you know, Stacey, I, I think the parallel would be as a news reporter, I was always very conscious of what my own personal political beliefs were when I was going to approach a story because I had to cover a lot of a lot of political stories. I interviewed um, I interviewed politicians and leaders from from all across the political aisle. You know, I routinely interviewed Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul, and I would routinely interview, you know, Andy Bashir and Matt Bevan and um, Rocky Adkins. And so I I had to be conscious going in, okay, what are my personal views and how do I make a mental effort to set those aside and focus on the substance of the issues and get information from these people I'm interviewing to then relay that information and relay what that's that what they're saying to our viewers in a manner that they can consume it um, in an unbiased format and then make up their own mind about the particular issue that's at hand. I think I think you got to trust people to be smart enough and they are to make up their own mind about issues, just give them the facts. And, and, you know, it's the old saying in journalism, uh, show, what is it? Show the light and the people will find their own way. Or I'm probably butchering that quote, but <laughs> I think the same, I think you can apply all that to calling a game as well. Obviously the stakes are a lot less high in a, <laughs> in an athletic contest than it is when you're covering like a major political issue, but you know, I just call the game. I don't, I, I don't get critical of these student athletes. And, you know, I, I keep it as positive as I can. And when one of them does something well, I brag about them and I, in, you know, inflect my voice and I try to make it, make it as big of a deal as possible. And then when the other team comes back and does something well, I do the same thing for them. And I'm lucky no one has ever come up to me and directly accused me of, favoring one team over the other. And I've never even gotten any messages on social media about that, which really, really surprises me with as toxic as people can be on social media. Yeah, that's really surprising, actually. Not because, yeah. it's because of the community that is social media. Yeah. And, you know, I am a guy and guys take less hate on social media in the TV business than than women do. So, I mean, I'm I'm not naive to that, but um, you know, I'm sure people have complained about me before. They've just not done it to me. <laughs> so what would you say? And I kind of want to couple these together. What would you say has been your favorite sports moment? But also it doesn't have to be your favorite. Um, maybe just share some stories of stories of sports, mo sports moments or just stories of people that you've met along the way. Some some impressionable memories of yours. Oh, gosh, how long do you have? <laughs> Let me let me start with my favorite play by play moments and then maybe from there I can get broader into my favorite sports moments generally. I think my favorite when you ask me cuz people have asked me this before what what's my favorite call? There's three. One is the Cameron Carmichael 
buzzer beater from three quarters court in the Mountain Classic in January of 2017, the game winner. Mm-hmm. And what was incredible about that was not just the shot, but I think there were 10 points scored in the final 65 seconds. Each team, just Harlan County and Cordia, just kept trading big basket after big basket. And you thought each one was going to end up being the game winner. And, and then until the very end, when, when Cameron hit the, hit the long one to win it, Josh McKinney was on the call of that one with me. Um, the half court shot is it's probably number one. I mean, I realize how lucky I am to be in a situation like that, to get the call that moment, because a lot of sportscasters go their whole careers and never get to encounter a moment like that. So that's number one. Number two is probably the Cash Daniel two-point conversion when Paintsville was playing Pikeville. I think it was 2015. Paintsville was playing Pikeville. And it was a Class A showdown. And the stands were full in Paintsville on a Friday night. Cash Daniel had just committed to Kentucky. So there was a lot of buzz about him. And he led Paintsville to a comeback victory over Pikeville. And uh, the game-winning play was in overtime. He On, on a two-point conversion after a touchdown, he just bulldozed his way into the end zone. And, it, you know, this was mostly organic. My call was... Uh, these Tigers do have nine lives and they're the Kings of class A tonight. And it, it just kind of came out. And, and so that moment is really, really special. Cash went viral for that moment too, not only for the play, but afterwards he does this insane interview with Anthony Bersaglia, our sideline analyst, uh, where he, he cash as cash does with most things, he turned it into a WWE uh, SmackDown event. <laughs> and is all fired up and oh it was it was such an amazing moment so that one was number two and then I think number three would have been 2011 Rowan County basketball uh state championship versus Christian County at the end of overtime Daryl Cross hits a three at the buzzer to send it to double overtime and I went crazy I don't know how I didn't get brain damage from that call I was I was 21 years old I was uh, you know, very, very sophomoric. I, I was, my feet were still very wet in the broadcast business and I probably got a little too hyped up, but it was a state championship game and a buzzer beater. So, uh, I, um, I can maybe send that one to you to use too, but that one, so those are probably my, my three favorite play-by-play moments in terms of sports moments in general. If you will indulge me, I will tell one quick story, maybe more than one quick story, but one one quick one for sure. And I was there to cover it with Josh McKinney for WYMT. And Greg Creech, our engineer, was there with us as well. And I went and covered Kentucky's open practice, which in the NCAA tournament, what the tournament will do is they'll let each team before each round get an open practice where the fans can come watch the team practice, take pictures, you know, and it's free. And so a lot of fans really like to do that. So I was covering open practice. And when you go cover these uh, NCAA tournaments, it's like anything else. You know, Neil Middleton always had a saying, we don't cover events, we cover stories. You don't just want to go and show up and show video of what's happening and say, hey, this is happening. Like you need to tell a story. And, and that's how you engross the viewer. 
And so I'm like, okay, I, I need to find a, a good story here. And so I'm around talking to people and um, there's this man and his wife that, that walk by me and uh, plainly Kentucky fans because they're wearing blue and they walk by me and they're walking away. And I, I get this weird feeling, this compulsion that says, you need to go talk to these people. I'm thinking, well, I've already interviewed other UK fans. I kind of got everything I need to put a decent story together about this open practice. And then again, I just had this sense like I needed to go talk to these folks. So I kind of walked fast and caught up to them and struck up a conversation. And um, it turns out the guy's name, his name was Shane Robison. And he was in town in Cleveland. He's a big Kentucky fan, originally, I think from Garrett County but then at the time was living somewhere in the Dayton, Ohio area. And he routinely made trips up to Cleveland because he has cystic fibrosis. He's had it for a long time. And he was in Cleveland at the Cleveland clinic to get treatments for it. And he was kind enough to let me interview him, um, which it was an incredible story then that I put together and ran that night. I mean, I, I felt so bad for the guy, but you know, he, I interviewed him and he said, I'm a huge UK fan. We never get to make it down to Rupp Arena. I obviously can't afford a ticket to see Kentucky play, which they were getting ready to play. I think they played West Virginia in the Sweet 16 and then Notre Dame in the Elite Eight that year. He said, obviously, I, you know, I, I can't afford to go watch the game. So this free open practice while I'm already here in Cleveland for my cystic fibrosis treatments, you know, this worked out well. So I talked to them and interviewed him and, and talked to his family and his wife, Nancy, and, uh, and then the story aired that night. Well, the next day I, uh, get a call or a message from, uh, someone back home in Eastern Kentucky, a lady, um, from down in Bell County who, uh, said, I saw the story on Shane and I want to buy him a ticket to the game to Kentucky versus, uh, I, again, I don't know if it was before the West, I think it was before the West Virginia game. Mm-hmm. And she said, I want to buy this guy a ticket like his story just pull on my heartstrings and I want to buy this guy a ticket. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, this is I'm like, this is why I do this job. Like it makes it worth it for all the stupid stories you got to cover about stabbings and shootings and car wrecks and t- all the just all the just all the unmemorable stories you have to put up with and do it makes it all worth it to get to do one story like that. So I I helped put two and two together on the whole deal and um, made some calls and I was able to find a ticket for her to buy um, for Shane. And so I, I did this follow-up story on, on Shane there while I'm in Cleveland. And then um, another reporter, I think it was Morgan Lentis, went down in, I think it's to Corbin or Bell County to interview the lady whose name was Irma Williams. Irma is the one who had bought Shane the ticket. And so we, we, we did back-to-back stories on that. And it was the coolest moment I think I had, or at least one of the five coolest moments I've ever had in my lifetime. And I'm still friends with Shane to this day. Um, He has a Facebook page where he updates everyone on his fight with cystic fibrosis. It's called Shane Robison Fight On. Um, And I still stay in touch with him and Nancy to this day. And, you know, if I hadn't have listened to that little urge to go talk to him, (laughs) none of that would have happened and history would have been completely different. So 
that that's a memorable story. Uh, another pretty cool story is my last year in Hazard, I hosted uh, a, a radio show, a radio sports call-in show called Sports 101 on WSGS in Hazard. And we interviewed Sam Holbrook, who's a Major League Baseball umpire from Moorhead, by the way. And Sam had just called game seven of the World Series between the Chicago Cubs and the Cleveland Indians and was behind the plate. And one of the greatest World Series ever. And the Cubs win it for the first time in forever. And it's just this historic, earth shattering moment. And Sam was right behind home plate for it. And then right after that, he calls in and does an interview with us uh, on a radio station in Hazard, Kentucky. And I didn't see Sam do any other interviews with ESPN, with USA Today, with Sports Illustrated. Maybe he did, and I just missed it. But in my head, he he did an interview with WSGS um, and before he, he talked to any of the big guys, if he even ended up talking to them. So I thought that was pretty cool that we were able to get him as a guest uh, right after such a such a big event like that. We were able to get him to come on and, and talk on our radio show in Hazard. Sounds like you've got a lot of uh, memories and connections that you really cherished. <laughs> you know, I wish I would have wrote them all down. I started um, a couple years ago. I started keeping a list on my phone whenever of, of these great stories. Whenever I remember one, I'll jot down just two or three words. That'll be enough to jog my memory for the story because I it got to where I'm thinking, man, all these things have happened. And I I need I want to remember these things. You know, I want to tell my kids and grandkids someday because half the things that happen, they they won't believe me anyway. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe one day you'll write a book with all your, your I memories. hope so you can wow. you can write the forward for me Billy we'll uh <laughs> okay we'll go Sounds... we'll go eat at the Hyman Dairy Queen after we release oh yeah right there by the minute <laughs> then we can go to Carfort Beach uh, <laughs> I don't know if I want to go to the beach with you man maybe I'll go fishing with you all right so that, that sounds better to me <laughs> so you, you've talked about all these memories and connections that you've made in your experience in broadcasting and journalism. Um, it may motivate some of our listeners to consider it or, you know, further convince people who are already considering it. Do you have any advice for our listeners who are considering broadcasting or journalism as a career? That's a tough one because I'll be honest with you, Billy, I'm pretty bearish on the future of, of the news business. And I hate to say that, and I want to say at the outset, I have a lot of friends who are still in the news business, mostly in television, but also in radio and newspaper. And I want them to have long, successful careers, and I want them to be happy and have uh, fruitful, productive jobs for as you know from now till eternity. But you know, the media industry as a whole is is struggling, and particularly local newspapers. I mean, it's terrible. You look up, it seems like every week now there's a new local newspaper that's announcing they're no longer going to print. And, you know, these these small communities need local coverage. These, you know, the, the people in, in these uh, counties and these communities, they need somebody to hold their local leaders accountable. They need somebody to cover the high school basketball games and the cheerleading events. And, and put the, the baby pictures in the paper. I mean, all of that, you know, there's so many unique roles served by a community newspaper, but it's not just newspapers, it's the media industry as a whole. So I don't wanna say anything to discourage anybody from 
from getting into the business, it can be very rewarding. Uh, it can be very difficult. Uh, you need to be prepared to not make much money, at least for a while. You need to be prepared to probably work some odd hours and some long hours. And uh, you probably need to be prepared to maybe move somewhere remote and maybe not see your family and friends as often as you would like. Uh, you know, these are the realities. And maybe you can hit the jackpot and find a great media job where you still get to do a lot of those things. And I hope you do. And if you can do that, go for it. But I, I just, I don't know. It's the TV industry, especially TV news industry is undergoing a lot of evolution right now. And I will be interested to see how different it looks five and 10 years from now than it does right now. Uh, because already uh, it's moving heavily digital. I think we get as many or more people that will watch a broadcast now of a sporting event on their phone or on Facebook, on their laptop, or on an app on their TV. We'll get more people that watch that way than do just traditional sitting down watching on cable or antenna, which is fine. But I think you can apply that evolution to the rest of TV news as a whole. You know, the the audience is heavily, um, the demographic is mostly older people. Those are the people who watch the news. And if the generation coming up behind them doesn't get, get their news from, from broadcast television, uh, then, you know, ratings are going to go down and that means less advertising money. So I don't know where it's headed. I don't want to sound pessimistic because, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know enough about I haven't seen all the numbers and the statistics and the projections, and I don't know what the TV news business is going to look like, but it's it's definitely going to look different. And I hope it doesn't look worse because, like I said, I still have a lot of friends who are employed in that sector. So I, I think somebody, you know, like a college graduate trying to break into the business needs to be mindful of all those things. And you need to separate yourself and do something differently than anyone else is doing. You, you need to do something to stand out from the pack. You need to find a way to diversify your resume. Mm -hmm. so I guess that would be my advice. And, and I want to, I, I will get on my soapbox very, very briefly here, and then I will step right off. <laughs> we need more rural representation in the national media. The national media doesn't understand an area like Eastern Kentucky. It's, they don't understand rural people and rural voters. And again, this criticism is directed at the national media, not, not the local media. Everyone should read their local newspapers and listen to their local radio stations and watch their local TV stations. This, they're immune from this criticism, mostly. But I'm saying that in the national media, these, these people who sit, these talking heads who sit on these panels and comment on news stories and on politics, they're all from up in the Northeast. They all go to the same schools. They all believe the same things. And maybe I'm overgeneralizing a little bit, but they're in such an echo chamber. They don't get an area like Eastern Kentucky. They just, and granted, I don't get that. I don't, you know, we probably largely don't understand, you know, their values and, and, you know, their way of life either. But there's just a big disconnect between the national media and the way they cover and portray events and and rural America. And, you know, I will let people draw their own conclusions with regard to how that has played out in recent years in our political elections. I'm not even going to touch that territory. 
but anyone getting into the media business, we need more rural representation. We, there needs to be more Eastern Kentucky at the New York Times, at the Washington Post, at CBS News, at NBC News, at all of these places. They need, we, they need to better understand a place like Eastern Kentucky. And we need to better understand um, probably the rest of the world as well. And I think if there is a better mutual understanding between urban and rural America, then maybe we can start to heal from the rift we find ourselves in right now. Yeah, absolutely. And you say that you're on your soapbox, but let me tell you, you're preaching to the choir, me and Billy. Um, so we definitely echo those sentiments. Um, and I think that all of your stories and memorable moments for you really speak to the culture of media in Eastern Kentucky. And I think that's a really special thing. Um, and no matter the future of broadcasting, rest assured, Shirley Fugit will be in her living room watching WYNT. Um, and then the process right, and then the young and the restless. In oh, I, I have to tell you, when I um, when I was in Hazard, one of my favorite things to do was I would go there to pantry shelf donuts and I would buy, you know, you know, 10 times my daily caloric recommendation in donuts there at <laughs> at pantry shelf. I would talk to Susan Brotherton and I would talk to I would talk to your mom, Stacy. And I would always try to make it a point to brag on you uh, and, and get you some some points with mama. Uh, but I always enjoyed talking to her. I would go in, I would buy donuts and coffee and buy a Lexington Herald leader and then go sit on my porch and eat the donuts and drink the coffee and read my newspaper like an old man. But that was pure nirvana to me. <laughs> I was never happier than I was in that moment when I had my newspaper and my pantry shelf donuts and my coffee. Listen, she was excited that she, I think she was equally as excited that you're on this podcast as me and you are. So um, she was like, the one that you were good friends with. And I was like, yeah, mom, that one. Uh, so shout out to my mom, if you're listening to this. <laughs> well, she, she raised an awesome daughter. You better quit. Now my head won't fit in my Zoom box. Uh, <laughs> so before we wrap up, I always want to give our guests um, a moment to, you know, add anything extra that we may not have covered, you know um give credit to people that have gotten them to where they are on their journey or you know just anything you want to plug any future projects um so this is your time oh boy that's a dangerous thing to give me the floor is yours Hesterberg oh I want to congratulate my mom Latanya Hesterberg she just retired after an outstanding career in social work she was a social worker and then she started teaching social work as a professor at Moorhead State University. She just retired from Moorhead. I'd like to wish her a happy retirement. And this is a woman who raised two kids uh, and not just any two kids, but me and my younger sister, Brooklyn, uh, which was probably a more special and uh, time consuming and harrowing job than, than two typical kids and did, did that while going back to school and getting her PhD from UK. And as someone who is just completing a, a professional degree a, that took three years, there's no way I could have done this with kids. I don't know how she did it. And I, as I get old, you know, I'm 31 years old now, and, and I, I didn't have the capacity at the time she was doing it to appreciate what she did, but now I do. I mean, I don't have kids now, but I'm older and I've done this, this law degree. And, and so in that sense, I do have the capacity to appreciate it. And 
And so, um, she, you know, I, I have great parents. She and my dad have always been incredibly supportive of me. My grandparents, uh, my niece and nephew, um, Harper and Braxton. And when I was in college, I had a great boss, Chuck Mraz, the voice of the Eagles, and shared a lot of laughs and a lot of memories with him over the years. And he had all these really, really cool maxims that stuck with me. One of them was, uh, you know, there are going to be days you don't feel good and feel like doing your job. And he always compared that to a pitcher not having his best stuff on the mound. You know, you're not always going to have your best stuff, but you got to find a way to get the job done. You got to find a way to get the victory. And so that stuck with me. And then another little saying he had was, if you get paid to do a job and you show up and you do anything less than 100%, then it's the same as stealing because you're taking the money that somebody's paying you for a job that you're not fully doing. So those were little Chuck-isms <laughs> that always stuck with me. Um, you know, Neil Middleton and Steve Hensley, who are still my friends to this day, still at WYMT, had a great impact on my career. I had a great boss in Robert Thomas, the news director at WKYT, and Chris Mossman, who was the general manager at the time. Um, Brian Milam is one of my best friends, and he would be embarrassed for me to call him a mentor of mine, but that's honestly what he is. He has been a great mentor over the years. And Brian is a guy who is still incredibly popular in Eastern Kentucky. Everywhere I go in Eastern Kentucky, people still talk about Brian because he was the sports director at WYMT for so long and covered so many events and had such a profound impact on people's lives. And one of the smartest guys, you know, you'll ever meet. I was joking with him the other day. I said, Brian, it's a shame we, in a way that we wasted you on sports. I said, you could have been uh, working on a NASA rocket or in a laboratory curing cancer or something. And <laughs> he got kind of a kick out of that. But I, I'm glad we had him in, in the sports world in eastern and now central Kentucky. Um, and everybody I've called games with over the years as well. I've had some great, great partners. Uh, Jim Frazier is, is my favorite guy to call a game with ever. Uh, I always joked he was the Dick Vitale of eastern Kentucky. Um, he's down, living down in Jacksonville now. I still keep in touch with him. Um, John North, Eugene Farmer, Jim Tom Trent, um, and then our sideline reporter, who's my really good friend as well, your fellow Hazard Bulldog, Anthony Versalia. Uh, he and I have, have grown close over the years. And, um, you know, he when he first started as our sideline reporter, he was very green, but he was passionate and knowledgeable. And he greatly improved in, in skill and in talent. And now he's one of the best radio play-by-play -play guys in eastern Kentucky. I think. Uh, last I heard, he was doing Letcher County play-by-play uh, -play for the Letcher County Cougars, so I'm incredibly proud of him. And I even hate to start naming names, Stacy and Billy, because I, I know I'm going to leave somebody off. Um, but I'm incredibly grateful now for the situation I'm in and Ned Pillersdorf um, for giving me a job in his law office and Ryan Mosley. And uh, I guess I better stop there because, my goodness, I could go on. You know, this podcast could be five hours if I tried to individually name everyone who has given me a boost over the years. I'm just, you know, I a lot of people say this and maybe they mean it, maybe they don't. But I 100 percent mean it. Most days I feel like the absolute luckiest guy in the world to have been able to have had the experiences that I've had to be able to get to do what I do. Uh, to meet the people that I've been able to meet over the years, 
my career in, in TV news uh, and sports is a gateway or has been a gateway to talk to people that I otherwise never would have gotten to talk to. And I'm so thankful for it. I don't take a minute of it for granted. And I'm so happy that I still get to keep keep my hand in media, even while now pursuing this career in law. All of that, Tanner, and you didn't thank the tripod. I was getting to that. I Shot thought you were getting heart. your own segment. Shot the heart. I thought you were getting your own segment. But since you since you brought it up, I already mentioned Stacy. But Stacy has has two friends named Taylor Williams and and Hannah Whitaker, who are both incredible Hazard natives as well. And one of my best memories was my last night anchoring at WYMT, which was a very bittersweet night. They surprised me, brought me a a card, which I still have, by the way. I'm in the process of moving right now, and I made sure and preserved that card that it will survive another move. <laughs> made me a card, a sign. I think we had cake. And that meant a lot to me. And you you three are all very, very special women and uh, and good friends of mine. And, and I don't know what I did to deserve friends like you or any of the other great people I've met along the way. I'm just you know, I'm just along for the ride. <laughs> well, we're just as lucky to have you in Eastern Kentucky. Um, well, thank you. Tom Blaise. And honestly, you're coming back to Eastern Kentucky, so that's even better. Yeah, I'm, I'm like Eric C. Khan. I never left. <laughs> well. he, said it, he said it's good to be home. And boy, oh, <laughs> I was there. I was there for all of that. You were. I can't believe that's not one of your favorite stories. Well, if I go, if we go down the Eric C. Con rabbit hole, that's probably another 20 minutes, but maybe, maybe you should do another podcast just on Eric C. Con um, <laughs> sometime. And I'd be happy to contribute to that. But yeah, I, I covered that, um, you know, in my capacity as a news reporter and covered all the people losing their social security benefits and then his arrest and his escape and his apprehension in Honduras and his infamous flight back to Bluegrass Airport, uh, where he said it was good to be home. Uh, you know, I just, what a moment in history to be a part of. I feel like Forrest Gump in a way. I've been around for all these, I've, I've just been kind of a bystander in all of these big moments. And, and, and I just, I feel incredibly fortunate. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. And you graduated law school, and now you're going to say, I think it's time to go home now. So, we're lucky to have you. I did well, not get sent my, to on this podcast on this Wednesday afternoon, but here I am. My last night at, at YMT, I said on the air, my last words were, though I leave Eastern Kentucky, rest assured it will never leave me. And, and it never has, and it never will. Well, I think that me and Billy can, Billy's applauding. <laughs> I think that we definitely uh, relate with that sentiment. Um, well, Tanner, thank you so much for being here today. I can't wait to publish this. This has been my favorite podcast all season. Oh, bless your heart. Thank you, Stacy and Billy, for having me on. It, you know, I, I joked at the beginning, but this really is a big honor for me. I, I hoped I haven't. I hope I haven't talked about myself too much. I mean, the goal of this is I wanted to share some stories. I feel like I probably rambled on a, and indulged my ego a little too much, but. This was a big honor for me. Thank you guys, and God bless Eastern Kentucky. Absolutely. Um, and no, for sure, we wanted to spotlight you, and just the point of our podcast is to just highlight the positive positives of Eastern Kentucky just because national media doesn't always do that, as you probably know. Um, so it's kind of our little, our little corner of the world that we get to show all the good things about it. 
but good thank- deal. Well, I'm, it's it's great to be a part of it. Absolutely, and thank you to our listeners. And we have one more episode coming up. It's the last one with me and Millie, and then we are finding replacements. So in the meantime, stay tuned for that. Tanner, thank you again. This has been an awesome episode. We've learned a lot, and I'm sure um, you really kept our listeners entertained, and they're tired of hearing my voice. So um, until then, I'm Stacy, And I'm Billy. And we'll holler at you later.